Deadwood Soundwell. Hey, it's Biggs here. Before we begin this episode, I just wanted to note this is going to be a shorter one. Carl's not on this one. It's because it's a bonus episode. We are going to drop an episode on Wednesday morning. And for the foreseeable future, we're going to drop episodes on Wednesdays. I don't know if it's going to stay on there, but at least for now, it will be Wednesday morning. We've got some Oscar reviews, and of course, we got some pop culture news up top. So let's get started. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So we'll just get started here. So Craven the Hunter has cast Fred Hetchinger. I think that's how you say his name. He he was in White Lotus. I think I watched an episode. I didn't really get into it. But uh, he's going to be playing the chameleon. So they got the chameleon from Spider-Man. Are you familiar with this character at Not all? Not at all. So the chameleon is basically a guy who wears this white mask and a white bodysuit. He was a Russian spy. So it was like a Soviet kind of plot. And he can impersonate anybody. He was good at mimicking voices and changing his appearance with the suit. And then I think later on they made it so he had like a digital mimicry thing as the ages progressed and they were trying to get more realistic with stuff. But he impersonates Spider-Man in one issue and goes around and gets him in trouble. And he can't quite do everything that Spider-Man can do, but he does enough. And everybody buys it because, hey, it's a guy in a red suit, right? <laughs> But he was actually the first supervillain that that Spider-Man ever faced because Spider-Man, so he launches an amazing fantasy 15, right? That is basically a comic book where they would just do a different idea every time. And the very last issue, number 15, was Spider-Man. And that was like a huge seller, but they were already canceling the series. So they decided to spin it off into its own series. So the first issue is J. Jonah Jameson's son. And this is somewhat done in Spider-Man to is going off in a rocket to leave earth and the chameleon is basically bankrolled by the soviets and he's impersonating one of the astronauts and tries to get the shuttle to explode on takeoff and so spider-man does spider-man things and saves him (laughs) which is funny that j jonah jameson hates him right out of the gate because it's like dude he saved your son before he did anything else so just to get an idea of what a blowhard jjj is there you go apparently he's gonna be the chameleon's brother because probably they're both russian so <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that's their idea is like, hey, why don't we make them brothers? And then Russell Crowe at some point was attached to the movie. And so the rumor is that he's going to play Craven's father, who I don't think is in the comic at all that I can recall. So as um, long as they get Bill Hader to play the chameleon. Nope. It's Fred Hetchinger <laughs> Damn it. from White Lotus. <laughs> And this is going to be directed by J.C. Chandor. So he did Triple Frontier, if you happen to catch that one on Netflix. Came out, I want to say, two years ago. It was like a Ben Affleck thing where all these veterans kind of gather to do a heist and a I think it's a South American country. And uh, I kind of enjoyed it, but it's also like a schlocky action movie, you know? Yeah. I was just saying Bill Hader because the last season of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he played like three yeah. Russian brothers. <laughs> Super Eastern. ridiculous. Wasn't one of them suggesting that he go to like a sandwich shop or something? Get the, the and, gazpacho. Yeah. And he's convinced that they're all related. <laughs> I was convinced that they were all the same guy, but I guess that's because it's the same actor. <laughs> um, so Thor Love and Thunder has confirmed that Natalie Portman is returning and Christian Bale is playing Gore the God Butcher. But a Lego set came out called The Goat Boat, and it has both Thors, Valkyrie, Gore, and Korg. So I think we can assume Korg's going to be in this movie as well. And the rumors that it was going to be Jane Foster Thor, I think, pan out with this because there's a bunch of female Thors coming out that are attached to the movie. There's also a set for the Titan Hero series that shows Jane Foster has Mjolnir, but it's got lots of cracks in it. So probably somebody repaired Mjolnir enough to work and she was able to heft the hammer. So I I think that's what's going on there. It's going to be interesting, though, because they're going to have to do something different than the comics, because in the comics, it's like Donald Blake picks up the hammer and becomes Thor, right? 
and eventually they kind of retcon it where it's like he was always Thor, but he was trapped in this body of Donald Blake, but he likes being Donald Blake too. So he kind of like shifts time between the two. But you can't really do that story with this, you know, like you don't just magically turn into Thor from picking up the hammer. So I, I imagine they're going to do some reverse engineering to make that work. But whatever, I'm down for the ride, man. <laughs> Take YTD is saying it's the wildest thing he's ever made. And it says like when I was looking at the finished product, it felt like it shouldn't have been allowed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Yeah, exactly. John Carpenter did an interview for Fandom, and there's a bunch of stuff that I want to drop out of this. Like John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors. Um, I'm guessing probably one of your favorite directors too, right? He's definitely a Uh, high up on the list just like so many masterpieces so the first thing is he mentioned that he made a theme for studio 666 with his son and he has a cameo in it so nice that's gonna be funny he said don't look too close because i'm a really bad actor next episode i'll be reviewing that yeah i'm gonna try and get out to the theater for that as well i'm not sure i think i'm gonna have to lie to my wife and just tell her it's a horror movie and not reveal it's about the foo fighters because i feel like if i do that it's all over (laughs) I'm going to try and avoid showing her the trailer or anything. I'm just going to tell her it's a horror movie. (laughs) So she's not in if it's a Foo Fighters joint? The second she knows it's a comedy horror, she'll be out. We like watching horror movies together, but the horror movies we enjoy pretty much intersect at supernatural movies that are not funny. And that's about it. That's our Venn diagram of horror (laughs) that we like together because we both like horror movies, but we like very different things in horror movies. Like I like stuff that makes me laugh in horror quite a bit, especially if it's unintentional. She likes stuff where it's like home invasion and things like that. I could give a fuck less about home invasion horror movies. And then we'll like watch some slashers together, but they tend to be ones that we grew up with, you know, like Friday the 13th or A Nightmare on Elm Street. Once again, A Nightmare on Elm Street and Jason Voorhees, kind of the intersection of Supernatural as well, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So if I tell her, yeah, it's Dave Grohl and it's like about the Foo Fighters and it should be pretty funny. And like, if I even show her the trailer with any jokes, she'll be out the second (laughs) I show her that. So I think I'm just going to sell her as like, it's a horror movie. (laughs) Yeah. So my daughter Shannon's coming back from college this weekend. So I'm like, we should go see that movie. She's like, I have no idea what this is about. And I'm like, it's a horror movie with the Foo Fighters. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm in. (laughs) It's sweet. John Carpenter talked about Escape from Earth. He was saying that that would be the third movie for the Escape trilogy. You know, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. And since the power was shut down on the entire planet, they'd have to escape Earth. There was a rumored screenplay that leaked out onto the internet years ago. He confirmed that that's not true. He never wrote a screenplay for it. And he said he would never make it now because Kurt Russell won't make it. And they asked if there was somebody he could replace Kurt Russell with. And he said there is no one to replace Kurt Russell. And then they brought up, what about Wyatt Russell? And he said, maybe you should make the film. Like, because John Carpenter's (laughs) super cranky. So (laughs) (laughs) he then went on to say the only sequels he would ever consider is maybe The Thing, maybe Prince of Darkness. I can see a little bit more of that, but we'll see. You never know in this business. You really don't. So that's already walking back because he retired. And he was very adamantly retired because his last movie came out in 2011. It bombed. It was panned. And he was just like, ah, fuck this. I'm done with this business. But he said the same line four or five times before and still went back and made movies. So can't necessarily hold him to that. Uh, With Prince of Darkness, he said it wasn't really a movie that had a resolution exactly in the subject matter. I mean, you can go in any direction you want to. It's about the idea that the creator of the universe is evil. So, I mean, it could be just a whole lot of fun. Plus, I secretly love that movie. Have you ever seen Prince of Darkness? That's one I haven't seen. So, it's good, but it's not what most people expect. And it's basically, it ties in math with evil kind of and they find this thing in the catholic church and it's like this liquid stuff and it's probably satan (laughs) (laughs) they probably end the world at the end of it it's just something you would have to see i thought it was good but your mileage varies based off of what your expectations for that movie is i guess 
And then with the thing, he said, I just think there's a little bit of story to tell there, which I'm not going to tell you about. But there have been some discussions about the thing and what we could do, because as far as we know, those two main characters, Childs and McReady, are still alive. They were alive at the end of the thing, so maybe they're still alive. So an addendum to that is they asked if Kurt Russell would do the thing, and he says, I don't know. So to me, that says... If he's planning on doing something with the thing, it would probably involve Kurt Russell. You know, if Kurt Russell doesn't want to do it, he probably shelves it. Yeah. So apparently Blumhouse has the rights to the thing and they're developing a thing movie. Carpenter has hinted before the pandemic that he might play some sort of role in it, but he never specified what he would be doing. And that kind of came out on the back of the whole Halloween thing, because I think Jason Blum, I, I think Carpenter trusts him now because of the way the Halloween thing panned out. Like he talked Carpenter into being involved with the new Halloween movies. So I think Carpenter's happy with how that's panned out. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But. Dude, I would love it if you fucking directed another The Thing. Like, The Thing is a perfect movie. It doesn't matter what you do for the second one. It's always going to be a perfect movie. I would like to see in John Carpenter's mind where it goes from there. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, follow up real quick on something we talked about a couple episodes back with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. So I did see it on Netflix. You watched it? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Fuck that movie. It was awful. It was a straight up slasher movie. And of course. Some of the stuff was just ridiculous in it to the point where like, come on, really? Give me an example. Okay, so the girl that got away in 1972. So she's coming back to face Leatherface and she goes up against him. She's got a shotgun. He cuts her in half with the fucking chainsaw throws her into this bunch of garbage bags and stuff definitely dead but no she makes a comeback and like lives for another like 10 to 15 minutes of the movie she does a darth maul (laughs) pretty much but doesn't die immediately does she have spider legs no well then i don't see how that's possible (laughs) oh that movie was fuck that movie yeah it's pretty much what i figured does leatherface die in it You'll have to watch. Nope, the not out. happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it on IMDb. <laughs> In fact, I'll probably forget about it and never watch it if, or read about it, if I'm being honest. Only if it's for a podcast. <laughs> no, Leatherface does not die. No other observations about this movie? No, it's pretty much what we, like, feared. Yeah. I didn't really fear it. I knew it. You know what I mean? I don't fear like, oh, they're going to ruin the franchise. No, I the that, franchise that has been sucks. fucked for years. Yeah, the franchise just sucks. It's one good movie followed by a lot of shitty sequels, reboots, remakes. Yeah, this isn't even like a decent remake or reboot or whatever. It's just, it's garbage. So you wanted to say something about Horatio Sands, old SNL <sighs> alum who's think he got me too right? Yeah. So there's a lawsuit against Horatio Sands, NBC, and a bunch of the cast members of that era. So this gal, she's not named. It's just Jane Doe in the lawsuit. So Horatio Sands was basically grooming her like through the, the one of the last seasons Horatio was on. That was what I heard as well. I think that was the initial story that came out. Yeah. There was an article that came out and it was an interview with the person who was accusing him of all this stuff. Of course, I didn't name it. She was 17 at the time and they went to the series finale party. He was touching her inappropriately and like, I mean, Horatio Sands was, I think was close to 40 at the time and she was 17. Like it was just. Yeah. It's not good. So what cast members were brought in on they, this? The only other person that was named out in this article was Jimmy Fallon. Okay. And what did Jimmy Fallon do according to this lawsuit? So according to the lawsuit, it wasn't what he did, but lack of what he did. So he didn't report? Yeah. He saw something and didn't report to the yeah, police? Yeah, that's basically what. Okay. This article was pretty vague. A lot of this is me reading into this article. They're going after NBC. The I think it's the producers. There was like 20-something people between the cast and crew. But most of it is you let this happen sort of thing. I'll be interested to see how this plays out. Especially like Fallon's a pretty big player now. So Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So you had some Highlander casting news. I know they made it official 
that the Highlander reboot's happening, right? Yeah. Like that got greenlit. So they got the director and Connor McLeod cast. Right. And Connor is Superman. Yeah. Henry Cavill. And now who did they get to direct this? So it was the John Wick director, Chad Stahelski. <laughs> okay. So is he just known for John Wick movies? As far as I know, I'm looking to see if there's anything else. He was in a couple of the Matrix movie, assistant director, yeah. Captain American Civil War. So he's worked in the Marvel machine. Uh, Live Free and Die Hard. He did that movie? So he's only directed the three John Wick movies. That's a pretty good resume. Yeah. <laughs> From all accounts. I still haven't watched them, but so, I, I'm excited for this. Uh, Carl and I have talked about this a few times, and it's one of those things where, like, we have this undying love for the first Highlander movie, but we both recognize it's not a good movie. Oh, yeah. When I was in high school, it was a cool cult movie, and now it's not a cool cult movie, but I still love it. So the idea of rebooting it and making it better, I'm kind of into that because it's a really good concept. And I think if it's done right, it could be a really cool movie. And so this is one of those rare times where it's like a movie I love where I'm like, yes, please reboot it. Like, please. <laughs> so um, the article I was reading talked about an interview with Henry Cavill and then the director. What they're going to do with it is try and focus more on the the morality tale of being immortal. Okay. Doing a different take on it. Yeah, just kind of more depth on that. If I could give some thoughts on this. So you don't take something that's got a bunch of movies and a TV series and not hope to make it a franchise, right? So what I would say with this particular tale is do not end it with the last immortals and having one succeed and win you don't the prize. Have... <laughs> Don't make the mistake that they made already multiple times in that franchise. <laughs> Come up with some stakes and then pay off those stakes. If you want to make this a franchise, you can't hand out the prize in the first movie. Don't do it. You're going to have the urge to do it. Don't do it. There's other things. It's fascinating, the idea of immortals. Yeah. Or the whole thing with the sacred ground. We can probably ignore the whole alien plot from the second yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> It might be better to not explain why they're immortals. So a couple things like, you know, if they're going to recast uh, Ramirez, get a person of color to play an Egyptian. Yeah, get an Egyptian to play an Egyptian, maybe? Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel thought. Um, well, they're... I'm not sure that they're going to go with this because if it's called the Highlander, that means that it's going to be a Scottish person. And it sounds like the guy in the lead is English. So we're already going down the road to the first Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> because well, he's not it, was French. A, it was a Scottish guy who is French, French Canadian who spent some time in the Bronx. So he has an accent you just can't place. <laughs> you know what I mean? I will say the thing with Christopher Lambert is like because you can't place his accent. Accent, it makes it more forgivable. You know what I mean? Because he lived his whole life going all over the world. So it's like, okay, I can see how he gets that. And he at least fakes a Scottish accent, even though he doesn't fake it super well. You know, it's just like, Heather! <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite line from Highlander? It's got to be a Ramirez line, but I, I'm like totally blanking on any of the dialogue in that movie. Oh, my cut improved your voice, I see. Is it that one? Or is it a... Uh, why are there stars in the sky? Are they pinholes in the curtain of night? We don't know these things, McLeod. <laughs> like, is it that line? No. No? <laughs> Mine is, would you light a candle on me birthday to remember me, Connor? I always like that line. I don't know why it's so corny. And the lady's supposed to be Scottish, not Irish. But I still love that line. <laughs> the accents do not work in that movie, ever. <laughs> It's part of the charm of it, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, they could probably get, like, Rami Malek to do. I mean, he's a notable Egyptian person. You want him to play Ramirez? Yeah. I just don't see it. Nothing about him says Wizen to me. This is a case where I think you need an older guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know who that actor is. I'm not going to pretend like I know who that actor is. But it's got to be somebody older. 
with the exception of the Highlander, because it's in the name. Like, immortals are not Highlanders. They're immortals. Right. right. So by calling it the Highlander, you're centering it on a Scottish character. So outside of that, I don't think you have to be beholden to where any of these characters are supposed to be from. You can put them from wherever. Just make sure the accents work out, I would say. And probably races, if that's a thing. You probably want that to work out. To make it work in 2022. You got to be more forward thinking with it. But I would say for Ramirez, I would probably get an older actor with some gravitas if you can. You may not be able to for this project. (laughs) You know what I mean? But if you can, I would. Yeah. You know, and it sucks because I'm trying to think of the older actors with gravitas. And the first guy I think of was Sean Connery. Obviously, you can't have them. And then it's like Christopher Lee. And it's like, well, he's dead. But somebody like that, like somebody older who almost has a Shakespearean thing about them, maybe. Sir Patrick Stewart. No, no, he's he's too frail. And like that's also where I'm like not Ian McKellen because Ian McKellen's too old and frail. So it's probably got to be an actor in like his late 50s, early 60s or something who's in shape. Maybe J.K. Simmons. <laughs> I'm kidding. Idris Nothing Elba. About him says, that is a good fucking call. Actually, Idris Elba is perfect. I didn't see the face till you said it. And now, yes. Yeah. Older wizened looks like he can physically do it idris elba would be perfect but i feel like you start around idris elba so i don't think he's going to be gettable for this (laughs) you know what i mean his star might be too big for this yeah so it's probably got to be a dude we've never heard of or we don't really think of in that way i mean whatever like actors can do things you don't necessarily need a persona attached to yourself but i got thoughts on this we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna continue on highlander later on i've definitely got thoughts on that franchise going forward so patrick stewart denies that he's in the new doctor strange movie he said you know people have been imitating my voice ever since i came on stage 60 years ago so i can't be held responsible for that okay so we rewatched the trailer and i asked you because you were the one who didn't think it was patrick stewart I didn't. Or you didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. What do you think, having listened to it where I pointed it out to you? It doesn't quite seem spot on to Patrick Stewart. Okay. I am going to make an observation here, and you tell me if this is accurate or not. I don't think you've seen any of Picard. No. And I don't think that you've seen any of the series that he had for like two seasons where he's working for the news station, where he's like kind of a talking head. No, I So that leads me to believe that you have not spent any time with Patrick Stewart in the last decade outside of older stuff. That sounds exactly like older Patrick Stewart to me. Like I would say with the exception of Logan, I'm guessing you haven't really engaged in any of it. So I have been watching a lot of American Dad. He's one of the main. He's like new American Dad. Yeah. So he's still on it? Yeah, he's still on it. Okay. Because he plays the Okay, so you do have some familiarity with his voice. Because he sounds like he does in Picard to me on that. Like, it sounds like older Patrick Stewart. So this is part of my process of elimination going through this to where I will get to what I think is the correct solution to this. Is it somebody imitating him? To me, it sounds just like older Patrick Stewart. Current Patrick Stewart to me. So, Disney has been taking voices and they've been modulating them and making them say things. They have this new technology, right? Yeah. Like they did it with Mark Hamill when they recently did Luke. Both times I think they did Luke for The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. So, potentially it could be that, but then it also makes me think they're probably not feeding clips from current Patrick Stewart because I doubt they have the rights to any of that stuff because you're talking about like Paramount, you know, like he's doing a lot of shit for Paramount. Guess they have him for American Dad for Fox. That's on TBS now. It's not Fox anymore. Okay, so they probably don't have the rights to that either. Okay, so we can probably rule out the voice modulation thing because I don't think they have the rights to that stuff. If they were grabbing it from existing clips, it would be from the older X-Men movies. And I doubt he says enough in Logan to be able to do that, right? So I think he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm, I'm not I'm not saying he's not lying. Like I Do I, you think he's having a senior moment and he just forgot he was in it? Much like Gwyneth no, Paltrow with Spider-Man f- didn't know she was in that movie. <laughs> I, I, I think Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't know what a lot she's doing half the days in her life. <laughs> the that's goop a has gone to her brain. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to put out vagina-scented candles. <laughs> <laughs> I like vagina-scented candles. I'm going to stand for the vagina-scented candles. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's my favorite scent. Yeah, I think he's lying. I think he's pulling an Andrew Garfield right now. Like, we've just gotten to the point with MCU stuff where they're just straight up lying now. Yeah. Before I mean, they... that, that is, like, probably the answer. I would just, like, trying to put out some other ideas, but that's really what's happening. And the thing is, is none of these tactics will work. We're really putting the actors in awkward positions because it's like Charlie Cox did the thing where he tried to talk around it and people would parse it and be like, he's in this fucking movie. You know what I mean? And so that didn't work. And then Andrew Garfield just straight up lied, right? And that didn't work. Tobey Maguire was able to avoid press because what's Tobey Maguire had going on before that, you know? I mean, a lot, but in the recent years before that, not a lot. (laughs) But Andrew Garfield... Trying to promote Tick, Tick, Boom, like trying to win an Oscar. That dude has to talk in interviews. And Patrick Stewart, he's got Picard coming up really soon, the new season. He has to talk in interviews. So you're either in full denial or you're like sidestepping or you're, I mean, that's it. That's that's your only choices if you're in it, right? Yeah. So either somebody's impersonating his voice, like he said, not likely, or he's lying about it. Or they modulated somehow his voice and aged up. I doubt that very much. I think he's just lying about it. I'm okay with you lying, Patrick Stewart. I know you got to do what you got to do, but... Those NDAs are a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) He's got the sniper rifle pointed on him right now. Every time he's doing an interview, just see a red dot show up in the middle of his bald head, like reflects off and hits the camera. You're like, ah, it's like a fucking Borg light. You know what I mean? (laughs) All right. I feel like we solved that one. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm just going to go over this really quick, but Casey Bloys, the head of HBO, just shot down all the rumors of reboots or restarts for HBO series that have been floating around. The Sopranos, not happening. Apparently that got started up again because two things. After the movie came out, there was talk that they were going to take the cast that are playing the older characters in the Many Saints of Newark, and they were going to make a series off of them, which I was excited to hear, but part of me was like, is Vera Farmiga doing another show, though? I'm not sure. Like, she's really big with the Conjuring stuff right now. I'm not sure she would take a step down for that. Turns out they're not doing that. Six Feet Under, we talked about that. There was all this word that they were trying to figure out how to do a Six Feet Under reboot. He said, absolutely, they're not doing that. He thought that would be a poor idea. He said, no plans to do that whatsoever. And then they brought up True Blood. They have been pitching out ideas for True Blood, but they have not come up with a single idea to reboot that series. God, so none of those are coming back. After the first season of True Blood, they ran out of ideas for that show. I kind of feel that way too, yeah. (laughs) Which is weird because they were going off of a series of novels. Yeah. The first season was was just better. I've been thinking about this a lot, like what went wrong with True Blood? And I look at it and they had an arc for the first season to explain how the vampires were coming in, but it was an arc that they didn't particularly care to continue on because it was looking at civil rights, but using vampires as a stand-in for civil rights, right? Yeah. And that wasn't what they wanted to do with the show. That was just their idea to introduce season one. Problem was their idea to introduce with season one was better than what they actually wanted to do with the show. (laughs) (laughs) So people like you or me watch the first season. We're like, this is fucking incredible. And then it keeps going. (laughs) And then it keeps going. Yeah. And it keeps going. And they're not. They're not paying off the ideas of the first one. And then just like every season, like if you try and explain the plot of True Blood to somebody, you sound like a crazy person. I watched season two and I was like, nope, it got bad so fast. And then I occasionally watched an episode when it was, you know, when it was just on the air from time to time. And I was just like, ah, fuck, what happened to this show? Like I could just tell from the individual episodes. I actually watched the whole series, but Oh, what happens in it? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. People die. <laughs> Lots of people die. Some people turn into vampires. Some people turn into shapeshifters, I guess. Yeah. Some people are fairies. Yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's another problem? 
first season, they have Lizzie Kaplan. They kill her off right away. Lizzie Kaplan's fucking great. They have Stephen Root in the first season. They kill him off right away. These these are people you want to keep around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Bad management on your actors there. Okay. The Academy Awards will hand out eight awards before the show begins. They will then edit them into the show so it's more streamlined. The awards are documentary short, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. I am good with this. A lot of the time I get cranky when they're always trying to make their ceremony more streamlined. These are ones that nobody kind of gives a fuck about. Like, I like I like to know about it. I like to talk about it. I like to parse it out. I care about these awards. The people accepting these awards are always boring as shit. You know what I mean? They're just like the most boring person who comes up and thanks a bunch of persons you've never heard of and goes on way too long. And yeah, this can be edited down. I'm okay with this. What do you think? I'm all right with it. It's already too long in my point, so... Okay, I want to end with an Oscar review here. So I want you to tell me what I'm going to review. So this is a little game for you because I know you don't watch any of these. So I'm going to make this fun for you. So you can hear me talk about House of Gucci, Tragedy of Macbeth, Belfast, King Richard, or Coda. It's your choice. King Richard. King Richard. Okay. So King Richard, it's a Will Smith vehicle, and he is playing the father of Serena and Venus Williams. And it's showing... I've heard about this one. Yeah, so it's showing how he was able to manage to get them a coach and then push through, get their training, keep them off of the streets, all of that kind of stuff, right? Uh, You have John Berthall comes in as the coach who really makes a difference. Like they have somebody playing Pete Sampras. I can't remember who it was, but they have a few people floating in and out of the lives. Now, Will Smith is good in the role, but I guess I have an issue with this movie. And the issue is it's a real weird person to center the movie around. I know they're going off of his autobiography. So the champions are Venus and Serena Williams. But furthermore, Serena Williams might be the greatest athlete of our lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me put it this way. Venus won five Wimbledons, which is fucking insane. Serena won 25 triple crowns. So that means she won Wimbledon and two other major tournaments 25 times. That's fucking crazy. Like nobody can touch that. So who's the most important people in this movie? Let me rephrase that. Who's first on the call sheet in this movie? First is Will Smith. He produced it, you know, probably had a hand in how they wrote it and his character is center stage. But it's weird because it's like this father who's kind of putting his daughters in this position to succeed. And he does have flaws. And like, this is not taken away from Will Smith's performance. If he gets an Oscar, I'm very happy with that. I just want to be clear with this. It's the actual movie that I have a couple (laughs) issues with. And it's fun. Like you watch it, you enjoy it. You're going to smile through it. You know, it works out really well for everybody involved, right? Like it is feel good. But once again, it's centered on the father of two female tennis champions. Like, and then second on the call sheet, Venus Williams. Third on the call sheet, John Berthal's coach. Fourth (laughs) on the call sheet, Pete Sampras. Fifth on the call sheet, King Richard's wife. <laughs> six on the call sheet, Serena Williams. Serena is the sixth most time in this movie. What are you fucking talking about? She's the goat, dude. She should have this movie revolve around her and have everybody else be like side characters to this, you know? Yeah. I that's... just, it's weird to me. And I just want to say, that's purely my issue with this movie. Everything else works great in it. It's a fun story, it's feel good. Why is Serena not the center of it? I don't fucking get it. And uh, that is every criticism I've heard of this movie is exactly that. Like, why is she not in this movie? (laughs) Yeah. So Richard Williams, very well-rounded character in it. They definitely show his flaws in addition to his strong points, right? Like he will push through and is hard-headed and gets things done that he knows he can get done. But then he also pushes too hard on things that he should not push on. And I like that. I like that they show the dichotomy of the character. And I think that is why there is a good chance Will Smith will walk away with an Oscar. Not saying he'll win. And we will revisit this the week before the Oscars. The movie's not super great. I'll just say that. So let's talk about Coda here. So Coda is on Apple TV and it has Marley Magdalene and Troy Kutzer are playing these parents who are wildly inappropriate and deaf and they're bringing up their daughter who the movie is centered around and she's in high school and she wants to sing and this goes contrary to what her 
the whole family. It's like her older brother is also deaf. Okay. And so she is the only one that can talk. So she had a difficult time talking when she was young. And then at a certain point, her father's a fisherman. So they're constantly leaning on her to deal with everybody who is not deaf to communicate. The brother's pissed off about it because he wants to take agency for stuff. And they're always pushing him off to the side so that the daughter can control the stuff easily. And she finds out that she's got a gift for singing. And this choir teacher who kind of brings it out of her is played by Eugenio Darbez. And he fucking steals the show, dude. He is so funny. He snaps at everybody. He's got a lot of heart, but he's also very strict and He's just amazing, man. Just a real, real charismatic performance. It's kind of a shame that he's not up for an Oscar for this because he's actually secretly the best performance in this movie. But it's a really interesting story. And they do go through some pitfalls that would happen if you're deaf and you're trying to deal with a whole community that doesn't understand how to communicate with you. Did you ever see the movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, John C. Riley? Where like Leonardo DiCaprio is playing uh, a boy, Arnie, and uh, Johnny Depp is... Uh, oh, uh, Benny and June? No. Oh, What's uh, Eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, That's what okay. it is. It's similar to it in that you get this feeling towards the end that like she's fucked. She's never going to be able to live her life because she's always doing this stuff for her parents. And so they're just going to wind up to keep her around and she'll never get to fulfill her dream. And it has that beat that Gilbert Grapes got in it as well. But it's interesting, too, because they don't make excuses for the parents either. Like they're fully capable and the brother's fully capable. It basically boils down to the mother is very insecure because she doesn't know how to communicate to her daughter in a way. She doesn't understand what it's like to be able to hear. So she looks at her singing and feels like it's an affront to her, you know, because it's like the one thing that her mom can't do. And like the father just doesn't give a fuck half the time. Like he's actually very funny. He just doesn't give a fuck. But they have this amazing part where they're doing this performance towards the end of the movie and they all go down and sit down and they can't hear what she's saying. You know what I mean? Like they can't hear anything and you can tell they're just bored and they're signing all this stuff to each other. And the brother is dating a girl who's like, she's really good. And so the brothers like was encouraging her to stay with the singing, get the fuck out of their life and just go live her life, you know? And so she's signing that they're good, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot to the parents because they're just like, they don't know what to think. And then at a certain point, they start to look around when her their daughter's soloing and they see that there's people just like moved to tears by her performance. And then that's when they realize that she's something special. And then so... When they get back, the father has this moment where he sits down with the daughter and he signs to her that he wants to know what the words to the song was. And so she starts signing all the words to him. And it's this really, really good moment. And I don't want to give the whole thing away because there's more that happens after that. But that moment in particular was really, really well done. And this is another feel-good movie, if I'm being honest. Like, there's moments that will shred you up a little bit, but it's fun, it's good, it shows deaf people having agency, they're human beings, you know, like... I've talked about this on Box Office Battle when we covered the movie Freaks. Like, one of the things that's good about the movie Freaks is that they have the courage to show them as well-rounded human beings. Like, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. But they're people. And there's a tendency in film when somebody has a disability to either make them the butt of a joke or more recently, they make them an angelic figure who's perfect and has no flaws because they're, like, trying to do the opposite but both are insulting because they're human beings and to not show somebody as a human being right like i'm constantly talking about well-rounded actors right it's literally what i was talking about with will smith his performance at king richard was good because he's showing the flaws and the positives of the character that he's doing and they do that in this movie it's just really well done i would not be surprised if this took home a handful of oscars because at the end of the day it is feel good and it's really well done so apple tv kind of like emerging just doing a really good job okay so i'm gonna get into some oscar reviews here because i didn't want to see the vacant look in brandon and carl's eyes (laughs) 
I've got a bit of a buildup of reviews that I haven't gotten to. So I'm going to knock out three of them here and then we'll end the episode. So first I got House of Gucci. So Lady Gaga plays this really deranged character in this movie. Basically, she is Gold Digger. There's no other way to put it. She meets this kind of freaky dude played by Adam Driver, who is one of the heirs to the Gucci fortune. He doesn't really want much to do with it. And when she starts dating him, his uncle, cuts him off from the family this really really irritates her because she's only doing it for the cash and she wants to be a person of consequence and so she's plots and plots and you've got al pacino in this who's playing the guy who actually runs gucci and we get screamy Al Pacino. We get classic Al Pacino from 90s forward. Uh, he had gone away from that a little bit, I think, when you watch some of his later stuff like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, and Hunters. But in this one, we're back to screamy Al Pacino. And honestly, in this movie, I wouldn't have it any other way. Once again, Adam Driver is playing kind of a freaky, quiet dude. You kind of get the impression he might be an incel if things didn't quite break the way that they do in this movie and then you get Jared Leto you get Jared Leto in this crazy fat suit with this like big giant head they make him bald they give him this weird mustache and he is doing just this crazy over-the-top accent I know I've alluded to it a few times on the podcast but it has to be seen because it's insane and honestly the acting in this nobody is really doing what anybody else is doing Adam Driver is doing a very understated performance. Lady Gaga is trying to bring it and do a real dramatic thing, but her accent almost sounds Russian and she's playing an Italian lady. Jared Leto, once again, just off the chain crazy. Al Pacino screamy. Um, They're all coming from it from different angles. But anyway, to continue with the story. So essentially what happens is... The uncle is dying. He decides to cut Adam Driver back into his will that he had cut out because he saw that Lady Gaga's character was just in it for the money and he dies before the will can be signed. And so Lady Gaga's character goes in and she changes the will so that it benefits him. So he's now got half of the company, exactly 50%, and shared on the other 50% is Al Pacino and Jared Leto's character. And so she then conspires to get them thrown into prison. It just gets crazier from here. I don't want to ruin the whole story. If you followed it in real life, then you know where it's going anyway. But it does involve some hitmen at a certain point. It's pretty crazy crazy that this happened but you look at it and you're like yeah i could see that this would happen it's funny because before this movie came out there was so much buzz around it for the oscars that there would be these performances that would probably garner some oscar nominations and you look at them and it's like no <laughs> maybe you could make a case for adam driver but there was much better performances this year what it did get a nod to was for outstanding hair and makeup and uh I don't know. I I feel like it's all about the clothes in this. You know, they're wearing Gucci clothes, but I don't I don't feel like that's that hard to do. I don't know. I I feel like maybe they felt like they had to give it some kind of nod, but regardless of all of this, should it be up for Oscars? Probably not. It's still an entertaining movie, definitely worth a watch. Uh, the next one I want to do is The Tragedy of Macbeth. Often when I'm watching Shakespearean things, there can be a bit of a language barrier. When I read it, I can take my time and kind of figure it out. So when I watch movie adaptations, it can be a little bit challenging. Somehow, the way that they act this out, it works. You don't need to read all of this stuff. It just works the way that they deliver it. They do it with such gravitas and they really put things in the frame where you understand where they're getting from. Like there's visual depictions of everything they're doing. And the cinematography is just fantastic in this. It's black and white. It's in a 4-3 format, so it's kind of boxy like a TV. There's lots of shadows, lots of smoke in this. Like you get foggy scenes all over the place. You get kind of smoky scenes whenever there's something somewhat magical going on with the witches. And I think the effects are pretty fun in this as well when you see the witch the first time it's a lady who's a contortionist and it is freaky looking and she's standing off by this puddle 
it's actually going to be the cover art. But there's a part where when they first show where it's one woman and then you see the pool reflecting and the way that the light hits it, there's two reflections. So it's representing the three witches. But then, of course, it actually becomes three witches. And they always mix it in with like a puddle. Later on in the movie, there's a part where Denzel Washington playing Macbeth is calling down the witches to like try and figure out some stuff. It starts to have water fill up in the castle and then the witch comes out of that. It's really cool the way they do a lot of this stuff. The visual language is amazing. There's a part where in the play... Macbeth is seeing a dagger that he's supposed to stab the king with and he's like following this dagger and the way that they represent it in this is they have this shiny looking dagger from off in the distance but it's the way that the light is hitting the door handle it makes it look like a dagger very cool really awesome idea Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott bring it in this movie they are both so good but in particular Denzel Washington is the lead of this and man oh man he is just amazing there's so many good performances in it too you've got Corey Hawkins playing McDuff and he has a commanding presence he's very very good in this and you get little 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 parts like Stephen Root playing the porter who gives the whole speech about he doesn't Shakespearean dialogue, but essentially you want to get laid and so you get drunk and then you can't get laid because you're drunk. That's essentially what he's saying. It's very humorous when you see him deliver it. And Stephen Root has been in a lot of the Coen's films. Really good choice to have him return for this one. One of the reasons I took a while to watch this was it was Shakespearean, so I was like, I've seen so many adaptations of Macbeth already. I've seen it on stage a few times. I've read it. What's this going to bring? Man, it brings so much. It's just in the visual style alone. It's amazing. Once again, the performances are just top notch. I would not be shocked if Denzel Washington kind of surprises everybody and winds up getting an Oscar. I don't think that's the way it's going to play out, but I wouldn't be shocked. Let me put it that way. And Joel Cohen. You know, he's doing it without Ethan, and there was a little bit of a concern for me that maybe the Coens together are what makes their movie so great, but it's very clear that Joel can do this on his own. This movie is great. I would put it up with so many Coen Brothers movies. I mean, I always love their movies, so I'm kind of in the bag for the Coens already, but I was trepidous approaching this one, and man... That was unfounded. Joel Cohen is just awesome in this. Makes all the right choices. It's very interesting. Even if you're not into Shakespeare, I think that you would enjoy this movie. And so the final one I'm going to talk about here is one of the darlings of the Oscars this year, which is Belfast, which was nominated for quite a few things. Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actress, Supporting Actor, Sound, Original Screenplay, and Best Song. Uh, The story is basically you have this family in Ireland in the 60s, and it's when stuff is starting to touch off between the Catholics and the Protestants. And this neighborhood that it's set in, literally there's a street that's a division between the Catholics and the Protestants, and this family is together. They are Protestants, and they do not want to get involved in any of this. And they immediately just show that this riot touches off in the cities, and stuff is just getting destroyed everywhere. It's ripping apart their neighborhood. This couple is trying to get their kids through it, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate this the best. They owe a lot of debt. And the father wants to flee Ireland. That's essentially what it comes down to. He wants to get out of there because he can see this is just going to go on and on and on. At the same time, there is a guy from the IRA who is trying to enlist him. And he's basically telling him, if you're not with us, you're against us. And so there is literally a threat on him. It's very fascinating because... The mother, for example, is having a really hard time because she loves this neighborhood and she has a hard time really thinking about the bad things that are happening in the neighborhood because of the people that she loves that are around everywhere. And meanwhile, the grandparents are off to the side, in particular, the grandfather really doesn't want them to stay. He wants them to be safe. But he's doing it very subtly because he understands it's it's a bit of a balance. 
the performances are really good in this movie. Like some of the best performances in any movie this year. The parents do a really good job, which makes it odd to me that this movie got nods to the supporting characters and not the main characters. Siren Hines, who is in Game of Thrones and he's playing the grandfather, he's not a shock to me that he's up for something because he does a really good job at an understated thing and he has a dramatic arc in this movie. But Judy Dench winds up getting a nod and I'm like, I don't get it. She doesn't do a lot in this movie. And it's not that she's not doing her job well. It's just that she basically narrates the beginning of the movie a little bit and the end of the movie, but her character really doesn't do a lot in the movie. So it's very unusual that she would get this nod. I I feel it's one of those things where like once you've been nominated a couple of times, they just keep rolling you through and keep nominating you. But it's really good. Uh, it The crux of the story kind of reminds me of when I first got married, to be honest, because my wife wanted to go back to Boulder, Montana, which is this very little town here. And that felt like a nightmare to me. And I kept thinking about all the negative things that were around that town and not really wanting to go to it. And she had a really hard time seeing it because she grew up there. She had a lot of warm, fuzzy memories there. But with time... All of that changes. Your perception starts to change. You start to think about your role as a parent. And so myself, I could really identify with part of this, even though I did not ever have to live through something horrifying like a civil war in my country. You know, there's a really good use of music in this. There's a few times where they kick into some soul and it just works with this movie. And it's odd because... I don't think of Ireland as a place where they're really playing soul music that much. But man, when you just see the neighborhood, it really gives that feel. Really good use of music. I can see why Kenneth Branagh is up for Best Director. He really does a good job of mixing a lot of things, like showing these kind of almost battle scenes, but showing these quiet moments with the family and trying to show all of the characters and how they are identifying this. There's a very real threat that's within it. The more you know about this time period, the more you know how difficult it really was. And I have to give them credit for tackling this and really trying to tell a story out of this because it's not the easiest story to tell. Just because we're kind of a comic book-based podcast a lot of the time, I do want to note there is a Thor Easter egg in this. There is a kid reading a Thor comic on the ground, and I was immediately like, Kenneth Branagh directed Thor. That is not an accident. That's a nod. That's fucking awesome. There's an MCU Easter egg. So enjoy that. And take it easy. Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account and you can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast where you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.